This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. For all your wagering needs, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, Play Sugar House in Connecticut. The college basketball season begins this evening, so the long road to the Final Four and National Championship, and it's a different year. Uh, there's no Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. There's no Jay Wright at Villanova, okay, just to name a few. And there's some other new faces that we'll get to along the way, but those obviously being so pronounced. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what the impact. John Shire starts at Duke. Uh, Kyle Neptune, who did a great job in his one year at Fordham and is very highly thought of, uh, is now the coach at Villanova. Uh, he's got a very uh, highly touted freshman at Cam Whitmore. He won't have more for a while with his injury. He'll still be a co- probably a couple of months away. Um, so uh, they won't be at full strength for a while. It'll be interesting. They did not put them in the top 10. They put them like 16th in the preseason poll. UNC was one, Gonzaga, Houston, Kentucky, Kansas. Kansas has got self on the shelf, uh, self-imposed for uh, a couple of games. Um, Duke is seven. Uh, Villanova, like I said, is like 17. They're not picked to win the conference either. But you know what? They could do. They have the ability to do that. I think. I think they're going to do pretty well. I think this was hand picked. I think Jay uh, had this in mind for a long time. Uh, so I thought. I think there was a reason uh, behind this, and they wanted to make sure that Connaughton didn't have great success somewhere else, and then wasn't available for Villanova. Um, so he was a hand picked successor, no question about that, uh, and very very well thought of. Um, so that starts this evening. Villanova starts with LaSalle. Uh, interesting year for some of the locals, including St. John's. So we'll get to all that as it unfolds. It does now with the early season. You know, conference play really begins with a couple of games aside. really begins after uh, the new year. Right now it's non-conference. You play a lot of cupcakes. You throw in a couple of tournaments a couple of made-for-TV games, and away you go. And that's where we are in this uh, college basketball season. All right, let's get to the emails. Mike Francis, a podcast at gmail.com. We'll get to some emails for you after another busy weekend. A big win for the uh, Jets. They get a bye week this week before they take on the Pats up in Foxborough. Giants back in action against the Texans. Off their bye week, both teams obviously uh, hitting Week 10 in fine, fine fashion with uh, the playoffs uh, very much within reach and very uh, surprisingly good seasons within reach. Uh, very good win for the Jets, as we, as we uh, cited yesterday uh, with the big win against the Bills. Dow, uh, the Chiefs won last night. Tough game. They have a lot of trouble with the, ten, with the Titans. I mentioned that to you, the Titans. Are very good live on the dogs. Vrabel does a great job. 
they match up well with Kansas City, but Kansas City found a way and won the game in overtime, shut them down in the second half. They didn't have their quarterback, though, so you got to take that into account. No question about it. All right, here we go. Mike Francis a podcast at gmail.com for your emails. Riz starts us off. Heading into the Breeders' Cup Classic, the question was, can flight line be flight line? And he was. Yeah, he was. He won by eight and a quarter lengths. And when, when you see a horse sitting off a very good horse like life is good and looking back and then looking back again, he knows, the jock knows he can take that horse whenever he wants. That was the key to the race. Would he fight with life is good? Would he go right by him? Went right by him. Opened up eight, won easy. Now he's retired. Um, this horse was a very short in terms of career performer. You could not perform more brilliantly. He did not perform in the classics except the Breeders' Cup Classic. That race was important for quality, uh, but he was ultra, ultra, ultra impressive. They're selling one share. There's 40 shares to the horse. They're selling one share at the Keeneland November sale. I would probably figure it'll go for a million dollars. His, his, you're only going to be able to send either grade one producers to him or grade one runners to him um, in the beginning. I would think his stud fee would be somewhere around, the son of Tappet, probably somewhere around 400000 either four or five, I would think. Five is very high, but I would think between four and five, I would think somewhere right in there. Uh, if it was less, I'd be surprised because there's such a buzz around the horse right to start. Now he's got to make that work. But Tappet was a very big sign in his own right, okay? And Baffin unveiled an Uncle Mo in the first race the other day that was just without question. And Forte's been really good, but Baffin on uh, Arabian Knight, who was going to be the favorite for the Derby next year, I mean, the horse was just scary. He looked like another flight line. He really did. Um, but flight line was that good. Now, where does he stand historically? Very hard to put him in the same boat as Secretariat or the other Triple Crown winners because he didn't run any of the Triple Crown races. He didn't fight the Triple Crown fight. He didn't run three races uh, in five weeks over three different distances and three different tracks. He didn't do anything like that. He spaced his race out perfectly. He faced very little competition until his last race. Uh, he did beat a good horse in the Met Mile, but that was or, you know, a one-mile race. Uh, there's no question the horse's ability is crazy ability. But his career on paper is okay. It's not It's not anything that's going to drive you crazy, except when you look at the races and the fact that he expanded his margin at every call and, and jogged in all six of his races. He jogged. I mean, there's no other word for it. He's a scary performer. No one was even close to him. So he'll be remembered, but he's gone very quickly. Uh, it's the bad part of racing, but hey, this horse was put together, this syndicate was put together. There's a bunch of owners. They're all breeders. They all chipped in to buy him for a million bucks. There was a plan here from the beginning. He was, had some injury problems. Uh, he, they spaced his races out meticulously. They did a great job with him. Now he's gone to stud. So be it. It's not good for the game. It's good for the people in their pocketbooks, no question. Chris emails, given the current state of the NL East, where it's possible that three teams within the division win a title within the last four years, do you think, well, that obviously uh, Phillies didn't, uh, do you think this will put the Mets into a near all-in motive? I think the Mets are in that, move, that mode. I think the Mets are in an all-in mode 
any way with this owner. And put that in perspective. Cohen's money has been a very big issue in baseball. And he's clearly the richest owner in baseball at $16 million. Do you realize that Bezos' money has been cut recently because of the hit Amazon has taken in, in, and all the tech stocks have taken in the market? during this inflationary time and with the Fed and with the Fed raising the rates like crazy. So his worth has gone down dramatically. It's probably gone down. I didn't calculate it. It's probably gone down 50, $60 billion on paper, but he's still probably worth 150 billion on paper or 140 billion on paper, whatever it is. So think about it. He, if he buys Washington is worth 140, 130, 150, depending on the day billion. They go crazy about Coney's worth 16. They don't want a Bezos in baseball where there's no salary cap. In football, there's a salary cap. You can't only hurt you. can't hurt you as much or nearly as much. You know, he can build a fancy stadium and he can do some things in that regard, but he can't hurt you in terms of building a team because in football it doesn't work that way. And that's why the salary cap sports can have very wealthy owners. The uh, baseball has to watch against somebody having so much more money than anybody else. Um, Tom in Hasbrook Heights, I know this is purely hypothetical. Boone and Cashman are safe, but would you have supported Jeter and Mattingly as general manager and manager accordingly? This was a fan favorite pipe dream. This was not even anything that was ever, ever even on the horizon or even in anybody's conjured in anybody's mind. So there's no reason even to discuss it. It was never happening ever, not any part of it. Um, if those guys had left, if either one of them had left, and then neither one is leaving, they're both staying. If either one had left, okay, they would have been someone else here. They would not have been Jeter or Mattingly. And both guys, to me, have some explaining to do. Cashman with his process is more important than results. How is that possible? How is process more important than results? That means if you do it to either a liking then it doesn't matter if you win or lose. You were, you were right all along. Oh, really? It's a nice, nice way to be. We're still in a result-driven world, aren't we? Number two, the uh, mental coaches, and I still gag when I say it, and Boone coming up with the video for the you know way to motivate the team with the Red Sox great comeback, that one is going to really last a long time. It's going to really leave a bad taste for a long time for everybody. James in Pennsylvania, for the first time, long time, the Nets are a bigger mess than the Knicks. Yes. Listen, told you from the beginning, I would not have touched Kyrie Irving under any circumstances. I would not have touched uh, Simmons, under any circumstances, I would not have touched a host of players that they have brought in. That I'm not counting Durant. I would take a shot on Durant. His issues are minor. He's not a leader. He's a great player who's getting older, but he's a great player. He's an unstoppable offensive player. You can win championships with him. But what they did 
otherwise was a disaster, and they will pay for it for a while. And the Irving thing still hasn't been rectified. And I wouldn't, I've told you, I wouldn't have him on my team for free. I've told you that in the past. Uh, Phil in Connecticut, before the Durant, Kyrie, Harden, Simmons, Mess, and Brooklyn that seemed to have a good coach and a good nucleus. Now that it looks like a total rebuild after the season, will the league learn a lesson from this, or will teams continue to hand over the keys to star players at all costs? Well, when you look at what the Lakers look like right now, and they are so badly built, so ill-conceived, in a league that is all about the three, they have no defense of the three and no ability to shoot the three. They're the worst shooting three team in the league. You cannot win that way. They can't guard the three. They can't shoot the three. They can't win. And they have two. They have an all, even a mortal player and a all-time great player or, or a really top player in Anthony Davis when he's healthy. And I, I, I agree with Charles Martin about the fact that he's, you know, sits out way too much, and he's always hurt. I do agree with that. But uh, that is not how you build a team. And letting these players build the teams to their like is a big problem, and you're seeing that it doesn't work. Mike from Connecticut, do you think Zach Wilson tries to hit home runs too often, and I feel he won't take the underneath stuff? Um, always rolling out, trying to extend and hit the deep pass. Um, he's learning. He's very bad at certain things. He has a lot of trouble on the move with the ball. He has a lot of trouble with certain throws. He doesn't pick things up quickly yet. Um, he makes a lot of mistakes. Uh, he can make certain plays. There's throws he can make. He does have ability. He can throw the football, but he has a lot, a lot to learn. And right now, the team is going to be carried as far as they coach him, prepare him, and make him really coach, more than anything else, coach the mistakes out of him. You don't want to take the aggressiveness out of him, but they have to coach the mistakes out of him because the rest of the team is really good. And their defense is exceptional. It's getting better week by week by week by week. I mean, it really is a good defense. Um, Scott emails, the Knicks are starting to real... Do you feel that the organization is losing patience with the front office? Uh, I know you're close to Jay Wright, but could you see a situation where he takes on the Knicks challenge? Um, I don't know if that would, you know, I, I think there are going to be teams offering Jay Wright jobs eventually. I don't know exactly when that would be. Um, the only thing I said to Jay when I saw him recently, I did see him recently, was Jay, uh, and I don't think he's looking to do anything this year. Uh, and he just signed a deal to do the NCAA tournament for TV. Um, if you take an NBA job, which would be the logical job, 
you have to take a job where there's players you can win with because otherwise it is a dead end and you can never win there. And then you're just another college guy who couldn't win the pros. So usually those are the only jobs that college guys get offered, even if they have stature. You have to go into a situation where the team is on the verge and just needs someone to organize things and is on the verge of, of winning. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work in that league. You have to have players. Um, the Knicks are still missing pieces. I like Brunson. I think Brunson will help. I think once he realizes that, see, I think he's trying very hard to be unselfish when he becomes a little more selfish and calls his own number, he will provide more victories for this team, but they still need more. They are still missing pieces. Um, Joseph emails, any thoughts on what you expect to see happen in the midterm elections? Well, since they're tomorrow, um, let me say this. Here's what I expect. And I know a lot of these races are close. And uh, I think historically, you always get the midterm go opposite whatever happened two years before in the presidency. So you would expect the Republicans to take the House. I would be stunned if they didn't. So I think the House is a given for the Republicans. The Senate is a little more iffy, but my feeling is they take the Senate by a very slim majority and they take the House. So they take both. That would be my prediction. I think it'll be a good night for the Republicans because I think that in a lot of states, let me put it this way, in certain states, Roe versus Wade is not the threat that they had hoped it would be, which would energize the women. And economy, runaway inflation, and crime are positives for the Republicans throw in the fact that the midterm always or almost historically goes to the uh, to the other party. I would expect Republicans to have a very good night. It would be very disappointing if they didn't. Here's the one thing that I don't like, and I want I want both parties to stay away from running to the crazies on their right and the crazies on their left, given the party, and use common sense in government. That's the first thing. Number two, I don't want to hear about how elections are, you know, fraudulent because you don't like the outcome. We can't survive that in this country. That can't happen. That's uncomfortable. That's scary. That's really scary, and I don't like even to hear that, and it, it annoys me when I hear that because we all know that didn't happen, whether you like the outcome or didn't like the outcome, okay? The bottom line is we know the election was on a level, okay? We know that. It's been proven. The bottom line is that's not the way to attack this thing. That's not good for anybody here, and that scares me. 
But I think things got away from Trump at the end of his presidency, and I think Biden has done a bad job as president. So I don't think he's done a good job, and I think Trump let things get away from him at the end, unfortunately. He was doing some things well, and then things got away from him. And I think Biden so far has been disappointing. And I think basically I know there was no playbook for the pandemic, but we wound up causing this economic downturn that we don't even know how deep it's going to get yet. I fear it. I really do. Because I I don't think they're getting uh, inflation under control yet because they haven't exhausted all the money that people had were able to put in their pocket during the pandemic. And people still have some money to spend, but now the cost of things is astronomical. Do they want to spend it? That's the question. And now you've seen the market take a severe hit, and I don't think that's good for anybody. So it's a crazy time. It really is. But uh, back to the original question, I think the Republicans will have a very big night. I mean, if they don't, they really didn't do, they didn't take advantage because everything, the economy played right into their hands, crime played right into their hands, and usually the, you know, midterm is always the reverse anyway. So uh, I would expect, you know, them to do very well. Um, Nick, it seems like in the last few years that the NFL trading deadline has gone from relatively boring to pretty exciting. Uh, why do you think that is? I think it is because teams now grow incredibly impatient with their roster outlook, with their coaching situation. They don't tolerate losing and say, well, let me look at these players. I mean, owners now, front offices now, because of owners, are now incredibly quick to the button. There's no patience, so that's why you see guys get traded. That's why you see abrupt changes. Uh, I don't want this guy anymore. Give me another guy. I don't want this coach anymore. Give me another guy. You see coaches fight after one year. Uh, All kinds of stuff. Uh, What are your thoughts on R.J. Barrett? That comes from Mario. Um... I like him. He can be more consi- he could be more consistent. He has ability. He definitely is a keeper. Now that doesn't mean there is not a trade that I would make to get a certain player. Okay, not, that doesn't mean that there's no player I wouldn't trade him for if I had the ability to bring somebody in. But he is a definite player who will become a very solid player in this league. He can be one of their staples, no question, but he needs to be more consistent. Um, What's your opinion on the Yankee shortstop situation going into 2023? Well, uh, right now, what I would say about the Yankee shortstop situation is it is utterly chaotic. The trade they made made no sense. And when you go into the postseason – and you are now rotating shortstops in the postseason. I mean, 
you're rotating closers, you're rotating shortstops. They had no idea what they wanted to do with shortstop. They put Peraza in there after not giving Peraza any time. They put Peraza in the postseason. And listen, he's a gorgeous glove. I don't know if he'll hit. I haven't seen him. How do I know if he'll hit on the major league level? There's some play. Now, does he have a great glove? Yes. Does that mean he's the shortstop for the future or is Volpe? I don't know. I like what I saw. You know, if Volpe can play, say, third because he's got a bet, much better bat and, and Peraza plays short, that's fine. Peraza can be a goal glove shortstop. That, that goes without saying. He's a gorgeous-looking shortstop. Now, I don't know if he's going to hit. So I'm not sure what they want to do, but they clearly don't have any idea. I told you, here's the thing about this team. As we await whether they're going to sign Judge. And I have told you, I do not think the world ends if they don't sign Judge. But here's the scary thing about this team. And it speaks volumes. There is not, in my mind, one player on this roster I have to have next year. Now think about that. If, I had, if you had asked me that question in 1997 or 1998, I have a laundry list for you. Right now, if you ask me, is there one player I have to have on that team? The answer is no. Not one that I have to have to build around. I can think of some that aren't going anywhere. That's fine. That's not the question. Have to have. The answer is none. And that says, speaks volumes about that team. I want them to blow this team up and start over. I don't like this team even a little bit. Uh, Jack, if you were the GM, would you look to add a capable veteran uh, for next year or to continue with Zach Wilson? I need to see more of him, but here's what's happening now when it's a tough thing for Wilson. The team is getting better around him at a quicker pace than he's getting better. And that makes him a very, very distinct liability because the team is improving at such a clip that he is holding up their ability to move forward. Two things about the team I worry about, the quarterback play on a week-to-week basis and the coaching on a week-to-week basis. Now, the defense is good, but the personnel on defense is exceptional. The GM has done an outstanding job with this team in terms of picking players. Now we have to know if the quarterback can hold up his end of it, and I'm not sure he can. I don't know yet. It's, it's still open. to the. To, I need to see more. Mike, how do you think, uh, this is from Jason, how do you think future generations will look back at Aaron Rodgers? The same way they look at the other great quarterbacks, the same way that you look back now on Brett Favre won three straight MVPs but only won one Super Bowl, the same way you look back on Dan Marino, the same way you look back on any of these guys, 
you know, you have a couple of guys who won two, including the Manning brothers, who each won two Super Bowls. All right, you have a Roethlisberger who won a couple of Super Bowls. He was never great in the Super Bowl, but he won a couple. He won a Super Bowl with the worst offensive game a quarterback ever played. Um, but some guys only win one, and now Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be in that group. That's not going to take away from his play, his MVPs, his uh, year-in, year-out performances, his, uh, you know, Hall of Fame status. Is he going to be remembered as one of the great quarterbacks of all time? Yes, he will. Are you going to say, boy, he should have won more Super Bowls? Yes, because you say that about Brett Favre. You say it about Dan Marino, who never won one. You say it about most guys. Unless you won at least two, they say it about everybody. He is an all-time great quarterback. Dan Aaron Rodgers has played the position as well as anybody who has come along in the last generation, and that includes Tom Brady. That includes – that doesn't have Tom Brady's resume. I'm not saying he does. But has he played the position as well as Tom Brady? Yes. Has he played the position as well as Peyton Manning? Yes. Has he been as good as them in the postseason? No. Well, Peyton Manning won more than him because he got another Super Bowl. Eli won more than him. Roethlisberger won more than him. But a lot of that has to do with the team and the circumstances. So how this is ending isn't pretty. I mean, let's be honest. Year after year, you couldn't have been a better player than Rodgers at the position. He just played the position flawlessly. He was incredibly efficient. He never turned the ball over. Now you see him. I mean, yesterday you watched him throw three interceptions, one on the one-yard line, one on the five-yard line, the other one, I think, on the 22-yard line. When did you ever see that? And he had the tackle wide open. He underthrew him. I mean, you never see that from him. He's clearly demoralized. He's been hurt. He, you know, the receivers have been awful. Never has taking a receiver away from a quarterback hurt a team more than Devontae Adams being taken away from Aaron Rodgers. If you had Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams this year, you would have had a completely different situation there. Completely different. You saw what Adams can do. I mean, yesterday he had nine catches and two touchdowns in the first half. The Raiders, though, of course, blew another you know 17- to 20-point lead. They continue to do that on a weekly basis. But he had nine catches and 160 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. But he doesn't have that kind of receiver anymore, and it's hurt him dramatically. And he's taken it to heart. And he's an odd duck. We all know that. And it seems to be getting to be a little odder all the time. But let's be honest. Nothing's going to take away from the fact that he is a – you know, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback without any discussion, anytime, anywhere. We'll see you later in the week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.